Please turn to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. We find ourselves at verse 16. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool lays open his folly. The title of this lesson tonight is Dealing in Knowledge or Ignorance. Now, in verse 16 here, we have the the prudent man and the fool compared and contrasted. We have contrasted also knowledge and ignorance, even though ignorance is not explicitly stated, as we shall see. But also contrasted our uh, uh, deliberation and, and, and thoughtfulness over and against rashness and thoughtlessness. Now, these things have a lot of practical application for us both in the world and in the church. Now, I have some good quotes tonight from various men that you're familiar with in this series. And here's one from Matthew Henry. He says, It is wisdom to be cautious. Every prudent and discreet man does all with knowledge, considering with himself and consulting with others. And he is careful not to meddle with that which he has not some knowledge or um, some knowledge of, and not to launch out into business which he has not he is, has not acquainted himself with, and will not deal with those that he has not some knowledge of whether they may be confided in. Now, I, I uh, shared my experience uh, in the last uh, week or two weeks ago about my involvement in the commodities market, which I really didn't understand like I, I thought I did. And I just didn't have sufficient knowledge. That was a good, um, it was a good example of this. I was, I was ignorant of the, how the market works. And, and uh, a good and honest financial advisor will keep you out of those kind of things and will and will help uh, educate you as well. Also, I didn't know my broker. As Matthew Henry says, uh, I should know the people that you're dealing with. I didn't know my broker. He was a total stranger to me. And if I'd followed the teaching that we talked about in verse 11 that we studied two weeks ago, it would have saved me a a small fortune. Uh, Now, so don't tell me the teaching of the Bible isn't practical and very practical and down-to-earth matters. It's very practical in every way in life, and in godliness. Now, I've given you a worldly illustration of how this verse works out practically and in, and in you know, displaying my own folly. Uh, and I hope it might keep one or more of you from doing the same thing, making a similar mistake. But I want us to now consider the spiritual application of this verse that will make a huge impact in the church and in our ministry to others. I want us to turn into the New Testament to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 to see an example of this and how this works out in the church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want us to look at verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. Now, here we have an exhortation to the entire church. We exhort you, brethren. He's talking to the brethren here. And the brethren have already, in this chapter in 1 Thessalonians, been admonished about their behavior in regard to their pastors in the previous two verses. And now the apostle 
turns to how they treat one another and minister to one another. Now, by the way, uh, there are a lot of uh, one another teachings in the New Testament, and we cannot be doing the will of God without uh, uh, being plugged into these and, and understand something about these one another statements. You'll find them throughout the New Testament, and that has to do with our life as uh, fellow Christians together. And so here's one of those, and this is a good illustration of it. Here we have a different, uh, we have different kinds of ministry to different kinds of brethren here. We have three kinds in a general category under the heading of all. Now the unruly, the faint-hearted, and the weak, those are the three categories. Uh, these are categories that we normally would find in most any church. Uh, so how do we deal with each of these categories effectively? <clears throat> well, as the very foundation of our ministry to them, we have to have knowledge. We need to know one another. And we need to know the situation that we're dealing with. And so it's disastrous, for example, to comfort the unruly or to warn the faint-hearted or to rebuke the weak. Uh, can you imagine what that would do? That just turns everything upside down. But it happens. It happens often in churches where uh, members are responding to one another without the knowledge that's needed to do so correctly and effectively. And sometimes pastors are guilty of this as well. I know that I've been mistaken at times in how I've dealt with various ones uh, throughout my tenure as a, as a pastor. And it can be difficult to get it right. We need knowledge and we need wisdom. Uh, George Lawson says, Some are like an ignorant physician who cannot distinguish between poisonous and medicinal herbs and may therefore administer a poison instead of a cure. So I'll be giving some examples of actual events that have, uh, uh, that where this very, this very thing was done. Now, it's essential that we deal with one another according to knowledge and not according to ignorance. Galatians 6.1 is another verse. If you turn there for just a moment, here's a familiar verse. Uh, Brethren, if, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, consider, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, the biblical principles here in this verse are dealing with gentleness, which implies humility as well, but then dealing with this person with the knowledge that you yourself are prone to temptation. We need to have that knowledge. And this will make us both humble towards one another, and it will also make us watchful over ourselves. Now, while we're looking at New Testament passages, turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Verse 14, now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Uh, notice especially uh, why Paul is confident of them. It says full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, uh, able also to admonish one another. By the way, uh, I just thought I'd mention it, it's uh, it's uh, it's not a coincidence 
that I'm speaking on knowledge and Pastor Smith is speaking on knowledge on the, in, in the Sunday night, uh, this last Sunday night, and be speaking on it against this, this next Sunday night. It's not a coincidence because the Holy Spirit ordered it that way. I had no knowledge that he was going to do that. And he had no knowledge of what I was going to be speaking on, unless, of course, he looked ahead in the, in the Proverbs and saw that I was going to be dealing with his verse. So it just shows you how the Holy Spirit, evidently, somebody, some of you out there need to hear this. No, <laughs> maybe more than one. Maybe I need to hear it, right? So I want us tonight then to consider this knowledge in three areas, the knowledge that we need um, at, to, to fulfill these passages that we've just read in the New Testament, to fulfill them correctly as far as our ministry towards one another in the local church. It's amazing, isn't it, how often these passages are directed to the whole church. They're not saying, now you elders or you pastors, uh, you do this. No, he's talking to the whole church. He says, brethren. And so, um, and so it's, 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 it's all of our ministry towards one another. And that's why we need to be able to fulfill these passages and have that knowledge to be able to admonish one another, as it says in Romans, or as it says in, in 1 Thessalonians, to make sure that we have the right ministry towards the right person. If someone is weak and, and frail, we don't want to be hard with them. And if someone is unruly, we don't want to, uh, we don't want to just let them get by. We want to warn them. And so, uh, we have to have that right knowledge. Well, I want us to consider, first of all, uh, the knowledge of the individual. More than likely, at least in most churches, it's unlikely that the average member can have thorough enough knowledge about every other member in the church to properly exhort and to advise everybody in the church. Now, of course, there's always this member here and there that thinks that they have the wisdom to do that. You'll run into people occasionally like that. I don't know anybody in our midst that's like that right now at this moment in the history of our church. But it's very important that we have some knowledge of our limitations in this way. Uh, I think of uh, one of my... Uh, my shop superintendent that recently retired about a, a year or a year and a half ago or so, he had a saying that he, he would say when he was dealing, talking about dealing with employees. He said, a manager must treat everybody the same but different. If you know anything about management, you understand that, that, uh, that saying. Uh, there, there are, for example, you have some employees have more tender consciences than others. Let's say you have two different employees and, and, and you have the one employee, he just ran a pile of bad parts. And, uh, uh, but he's got this really tender conscience and he beats himself up over it so badly that if you go and scold him for it, you're, it's, counter, it's counterproductive. It doesn't do any good. All you do is make him more upset and he's even more prone to make more mistakes because he's just too uh, nervous about it. You take this other employee that just ran the same scrap, and he's the kind of guy that needs to be admonished a little more sternly. Just that kind of a person, that kind of a personality. And, he, and a good manager knows which is which. You gotta, you gotta know which is which. Well, that's the same thing in the church. People are different, and people have to be treated differently. You have to know something about about the the individual that you're dealing with. Um, and so it's, uh, this is likewise then, it's, it's very important for pastors to know their flock, isn't it? Um, uh, shame on us if we don't. We should know the flock. Uh, 
but uh, you know, uh, in business, I know that it's common for other employees to criticize management's dealings with other employees, thinking that they know what's best. Why is this manager letting this guy get away with this? And in fact, they think they think they're getting away with something because the manager hasn't uh, written them up over something or something like that, and they uh, they don't understand that that this manager has to deal with every individual in the way, uh, the wisest way that individual needs to be dealt with. And it's the same thing in the church. Um, and I'm not saying that pastors always get it right. I, I know that I haven't uh, on, on, on numerous occasions. But if we're going to do the task of overseers that God has called us to as pastors, if we're going to do that rightly, then we have to have knowledge of the members. We need to know something about their personalities, their strengths, and their weaknesses. And um, and where they are in their Christian walk is important as well. How how mature are they? How uh, how far along are they in the Christian walk? And in some cases, we might even need some knowledge of their medical condition. Uh, not that we're uh, to give medical advice. I don't mean that. Um, but I <clears throat> I don't ever want to encourage anyone in their rebellion in their sin. But even more so, I don't ever want to scold someone who has a broken heart. Um, I uh, knew this one case, and this is one of the cases I'm going to mention, is, is uh, I knew a case of a man that was brought under church discipline um, that had a, uh, he, he was just having a severe depression to the point where he wouldn't attend church, and he was just, uh, his whole life was different. He didn't have a history of this depression. He just, he was an older man, and he became this so thoroughly depressed, and they finally, the church uh, leadership decided that it had to do uh, with sin in his life, and they put him under discipline. Only later on to find out that uh, 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 Parkinson's, Parkinson's disease uh, has this as a side effect. Sometimes, as someone that has uh, advanced Parkinson's disease, uh, sometimes will uh, will develop severe severe depression. And so, uh, so they were disciplining a man who had a medical problem. It was a medical issue with him, and uh, and it's a shame that they brought him under discipline. And uh, it's it's a it was a blot on the church. And and uh, they didn't act with knowledge. You see, they didn't know the person. They didn't know the situation as well as they needed to be needed to know it. Um, I don't know how I could live with myself if I did something like that. But uh, but. Those are the kind of complicated things you can get into when you're dealing with people and when you're dealing with church discipline. Um, and, uh, you know, I won't recommend discipline unless I know that I know that it's appropriate. And even then, I know that I'm not infallible. Uh, we may indeed be too slow to put somebody under discipline. Uh, but don't assume that you know more about the person than your pastors know. Uh, you might. Uh, but maybe you don't too. Maybe there's maybe there's something that we know that you don't know. So sometimes we can be very slow to put people under discipline, and sometimes people have thought we've been way too slow, and maybe we have been way too slow. I don't know. It's just that it's just that uh, it's just that the consequences of making a wrong decision are very very weighty, and we have to give an, we have to give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ for our oversight. So we need to be humble. We need to be careful. And we need to deal with knowledge. And that's what this verse in Proverbs is teaching. 
And, uh, you know, many of you may have heard or known of pastors and churches that have violated this very principle and brought shame on the church and devastation upon individuals and families. Uh, so we need to have knowledge of the individual. Secondly, we need to have knowledge of the situation. And I mean real knowledge of the situation, accurate knowledge. And listen to me. You cannot get accurate knowledge by failing to listen to both sides. Sometimes, um, uh, uh, sometime in the future, we're going to be looking at, at, at Proverbs chapter 18, uh, where it says, uh, verse 13 and 17, it says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is a folly and a shame to him. And verse, that's verse 13. Verse 17 says, The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. You need to hear both sides of a situation if you possibly can. Sometimes you're not able to, but if you can possibly hear both sides, you need to. You need to know something about the situation before you can make a judgment about it. And this is violated frequently in the Christian church by pastors and laity alike. And I've even known unbelievers to be more fair than some Christians in obeying this, Christ, this biblical teaching. I actually believe this is one of the most frequently violated biblical principles that I've ever witnessed, and I catch myself doing it too. And even though I and, and my family have been victims of this very thing, I, I, it's so easy to slip into this. So we need to be careful that we act with knowledge. We need to know the situation and not a superficial knowledge but a real and a substantial knowledge of the facts, verified facts, not gossip, and be careful of the supposed facts that you get from the Internet as well. So then the third area I want to mention is the third area of knowledge that's so very critical in, in dealing with people is the knowledge of the Word of God. We have to have this knowledge as well. And there's two categories of knowledge in the area of knowing the will of God that I want to mention here for us tonight. First of all, we need to have knowledge of good theology. I'm reminded of a story of Dr. Sproul that he tells frequently. Uh, <clears throat> I've heard him say in the context of a number of his uh, of his uh, devotionals uh, when he was uh, watching a program on television of a grieving mother who had lost uh, one or two sons. I don't know, but she was grieving horribly in the the uh, she uh, she was asking the pastor that she was talking to on the television. Well, uh, you know, how could God uh, allow this to happen? Or, or she was uh, she was uh, 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 you know she was her perplexity was obvious. And so this other pastor uh, said, uh, "Now listen, God had nothing to do with this." Uh, this is the devil's doing. God had nothing to do with it. And R.C. Sproul said, he, you know, on one occasion, I know he told this illustration, said he wanted to, to jump into the television set and shake the guy. If you take God out of the situation, you've taken all their hope away. Uh, it's the knowledge that God is in the situation, no matter how horrible it is, that God has ordained it for our good. That's That's the only... Uh, that's the only comfort we have sometimes when we're going through the really, really fiery trials and really any trial that we go through. Isn't it our comfort that we know that God is in this thing? Uh, it may perplex us. We may be brokenhearted. We may cry ourselves to sleep. But there's still that comfort to know that we're in the hand of God. God is going to take care of us. He's promised not to leave us 
or to forsake us. And so that's, you see, the knowledge of good theology, how it's practical in, uh, in practical things. And, and, uh, uh, so, um, and so, uh, uh, R.C. Sproul's illustration is, is well taken. I think of another illustration I think about when my son, and I know he wouldn't mind me sharing this, but when my son went to leave my home, um, and um, he had made a profession of faith, and I sat him down, and I, and I was questioning. I wasn't sure about his profession of faith. I, I, I kind of suspected it. But I, I just said, you know, the truth and the reality of your profession of faith when you leave our home here, will be seen in the friends that you, you, you make and the choices that you make in life. And it was, uh, uh, and sure enough, after he left my home, he, he went with wild people making bad decisions, and, and it was pretty evident that his profession of faith was spurious. Well, um, he, came, uh, he came to the Lord then later on when he was about 25 years old, and he really got saved, but... Had I told him and just just exhorted him and say, you know, you just need to be, you make sure you go to church, you know, make sure you keep reading your Bible and praying and all that. And and if I had not put a seed to make him question uh, the reality of his uh, profession of faith, maybe he would have just gone on the rest of his life as an unsaved uh, condition, thinking, yeah, I'm just uh, I'm just a little backslidden, you know. And I mean, there's there's multitudes. In that very situation. In fact, um, I was talking to my grandson. I mentioned I was talking to my grandson here. Uh, uh, what was the last week? Sometime, and I think I mentioned him in my uh, one of my illustrations last week. But one of the things that he, I think I even mentioned this very illustration. He said one of the things that uh, he appreciated is that uh, he's just come to Christ about oh I don't know a year and a half ago or something and. And uh, it's very evident that the Lord has saved a, this young man. But he said, I, I remember coming to you, Grandpa, and, and I would try to convince you I was a Christian. You'd tell me that you didn't think I was, and I'd say, why? And he'd say, because you're a liar. I mean, he was such a liar. I mean, you couldn't believe anything this kid said. And the Bible's so clear. No liar has any part of the kingdom of heaven. And I would, and, and so he said, I get so frustrated. But he said, I'm so glad that you did that. He said, because then I... I knew that, you know, I knew there was something wrong spiritually and it made him so he he didn't assume that just because he was making some profession of faith that he was truly a Christian. He uh, uh so so you see where good theology these uh this is uh this is a, an epidemic in some evangelical circles. I um I I remember my daughter that went to a, a fundamentalist Baptist church uh school and um the authorities there, the principal, used to nag my wife to try to to let let my daughter be baptized, and it was evident to both of us by her attitude at home and everything that she was not a believer, but she made a profession, and he said, "Well, if she makes a profession, you should baptize her." And that's what they were doing with all the kids. In fact, I remember my daughter telling me about a time in their youth group meeting that uh, uh, they had an altar call, and every single one of them went forward. And the only one that didn't go forward was my daughter. And they just kept the altar call going because she didn't come forward. But my daughter, they didn't realize my daughter wasn't staying in her seat because she was rebellious. She was staying in her seat because I taught her differently. I said, don't respond to an altar call. Don't believe in altar calls. And uh, and so uh, 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 
we know these young people that she grew up with in that school. And out of all these kids that made such tearful professions of faith, she said, she said, actually, this was on a Sunday night, because we'd let her go to the, the youth things with the kids. This is on a Sunday night. Monday morning, these kids show up in school. And it's obvious that there's nothing happened to these kids. They're just as worldly as they were uh, the, the previous Friday. And so my daughter, that helped my daughter. That was good for my daughter to see this. She could see that she, there's something wrong with an evangelistic system that gives assurance to people that shouldn't have assurance. And so we know these people from years. It's been years now. And the ones that she knows, uh, I I don't think that there might be one or two of them that's that's uh, walking with the Lord and it's a true we can think is a true believer and the rest of them are just out in the world have nothing to do with church nothing to do with Christianity. But the the tragedy of it is so many of these people think that they're saved, and you run across them all the time. Oh yeah, I I took care of that when I was twelve years old or whatever, and they think they're saved because. They've been given bad theology. So when you're dealing with people and you and you and you give them bad, a false assurance, they made some profession of faith, but there's uh, no, uh, they're still a liar or they're still whatever their besetting sin is. They're not making any effort for sanctification or holiness in their lives at all. And you give this person assurance, you, you could be damning that person's soul. So good theology is essential in dealing with people. We have to have that knowledge of, 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 of the truth of God's word and how you apply God's word in different situations. I uh, think about that. Uh, how many are, how many are in hell today because of bad theology? How many have died in their sins thinking that they were good? They were in because they walked in forward in, in one of these altar calls and, uh, um, and so uh, it, it's, it's, a real, it's a real tragedy. But I think of that passage in Matthew chapter 7 where it says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, you know, um, uh, and, and, you'll, and you'll say, you'll say uh, you know, depart from me. I never knew you. And, um, and that's a, a real tragedy because these are people that these were professed believers. They, these are not Muslims or Atheists. I mean, these are people that call Jesus Lord. But he's, what was his charge against them? Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The people who made a profession of faith, but, uh, but, but their practice was a practice of lawlessness. That's what defined their lives. Uh, a very important passage, and one I quote very often at the Rescue Mission, because I know they have a serious problem with this at the Rescue Mission, with so many that uh, go back on their commitment to stay out of drugs. Uh, and that's that passage in Titus where it says, um, where it says, the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching them that denying uh, ungodliness and worldly lust, we are to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And so my my challenge is this: is uh, has the grace of God in your life taught you to deny ungodliness and live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age? Now I don't know what your profession of faith is, but if your profession of faith is such that it hasn't taught you to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, then it's not the grace of God that brings salvation. People don't like to hear that. But that's the facts of the matter. There's, there's such 
bad evangelism going on. And I know that when I'm preaching at the rescue mission, I know that there's probably um, 80% or more that if you ask them if they have received Christ, they will tell you that they have. And if you know anything about the lives that most of these people are living, you have to say, I don't know about this. I was talking to a young man just a couple months ago, and and uh, he was all tore up and uh, upset. His life was turned upside down because of his own sin. And uh, I, I asked him if he'd ever received Christ. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. And I said, I said, but you've never lived for him, have you? He said, no, no, never have. <laughs> and so it, it, in order to get him saved, you've got to get him lost first. And that's a hard thing to do with this this uh, a false evangelism that's that's going on and it's so rampant around us. So uh, I belabor the point on that because good theology, knowledge of good theology is essential if we're going to deal with people the way the people need to be dealt with in the context of the church or even in the context of trying to win people to Christ and things of that nature. Um, so uh, uh, I, I, here's another uh, thing I would just mention. How many people are in hell on account of the church's false teaching of theistic evolution. Let me just put that out there for you. How many of the churches are teaching theistic evolution, the Genesis gap theory and all that, and trying to bring in uh, long periods of time in order to make the six days of creation, not six days of creation, but six uh, six eons or six uh, whatever kind of time you want to put in there so they can fit in evolution. And... Uh, and I agree fully with what Ken Ham says and, and, and others and, and creation scientists that if you throw out the first, if you say that God didn't really mean what he said in, the, in Genesis chapter 1, why would you think that God is serious when he talks about the resurrection? Which sounds more, more incredible. That God could create the world and everything in six days or that he would raise Jesus Christ from the dead. I mean, if you're going to throw out Genesis chapter 1 and, and, and what happened in the 1800s, that's exactly what they did. The, the, uh, uh, so many of the respected theologians that we quote in our pulpits today, respected reformed theologians, caved in on this matter and, and, and compromised with the world on the six days of creation. Well, they were uh, inconsistent and they, they kept the faith, but succeeding generations did not. And that's and, 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 and they went one step uh, further away from uh, from orthodoxy to another step to another. And it was just a logical pro- progression because you can't believe the word of God, what it actually says. And so you've got to spiritualize it. You've got to call it poetry or whatever you have to call it. But then pretty soon you have to throw out all the miracles as well. And so uh, and so. Uh, 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 I believe that the seed of apostasy and the mainline denominations began with the great theologians of the 19th century compromising on this very issue of evolution. And a lot of other things went with it. They didn't act with knowledge. They didn't act with knowledge. And uh, 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 not right theological knowledge. And that's perhaps the, the greatest reason why our Western society has gone as far as it has gone away from God in our day today, because the church is not holding the line. If the churches, if all the churches had held the line, I truly believe our society would not be as bad as it is today. We've lost our saltiness. And Jesus said, if salt loses its savor, it stands forth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. 
And that's what we have in our day because of bad theology of the church, uh, uh, teaching bad knowledge about the truth of God. And the second thing I'd want to mention about knowledge under the heading of, uh, of the Word of God, and that is this, uh, the knowledge of God's Word, uh, we need to understand the knowledge of biblical principles in general. And the more thorough our knowledge is of biblical principles, the more uh, uh, the more full we are of the knowledge that that will aid us in acting with wisdom, with wisdom, and in, in, in uh, speaking with wisdom, and and uh, and uh, and following through and acting with wisdom, in understanding people, and in fully helping people when they're going through difficulties. Psalm 119:9, very familiar passage. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. And if we take heed according to God's word, what are the practical things that will that this will help us with? Well, uh, God's word will teach you to uh, uh, teach a young man, uh, like as I taught in the men's breakfast here uh, recently. They'll teach a young man to respect women and not take advantage of them. Uh, it'll also uh, teach a young man to respect his own body and to keep himself pure. Uh, a knowledge of God's word will teach us about the laws of sowing and reaping. If we understand those laws of sowing and reaping, we'll, we'll know that we cannot escape them and we can never outwit God. We can never violate the commands of God and the precepts of God without hurting for it. If you have a firm conviction of that, that really helps us in our battle against temptation. Um, uh, you know, I want to I serve God and I want to I want to obey God and, and do God's will because I love God. I really want to do that. Uh, but I tell you, there's sometimes when I do the will of God because uh, I realize if I don't do the will of God, I'm not going to get away with it anyway. You know, you know. I was telling my employees this the other day. As I know other businessmen, they they do things and they get away with stuff. And I think to myself, Al, if you tried that, you know, God would slap you down so quick, you'd never get away with it. And so uh, I don't know sometimes if, you know, if my, uh, uh, if my uh, business practices and, uh, are more because of, you know, I fear, the, I fear the consequences from God or if I really love God and love righteousness. Well, I think that's a battle for all of us, isn't it? I mean, you want to you wanna be sanctified and you want to you wanna really battle with sin because you really hate sin. But the problem is we don't really hate sin as like sin like we should. And, and and we're always struggling to get to that point where we really hate sin. And so we have the wall of God's word. We've got that there to stop us. We say God says this, and we have the examples in God's word that he gives us as well. And um, that, that keeps us on the straight and narrow uh, so often. So a, a knowledge of God's word, another uh, just example would be, knowledge of God's word will help us to avoid conflict in relationships. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. It's just a true knowledge of what this verse is teaching all by itself would eliminate a very large number of arguments, uh, think of the road rage, uh, and even murders that have occurred because of a violation of this very principle right here. And I'm sure you get the idea. There's so much to learn in biblical principles about the ways of God. And I hope that this series on Proverbs has even opened your eyes 
uh, to many things that perhaps you've never realized were covered under the heading of biblical principles. I know that I have. I, I feel like that's been a, a rich study for me. So, do you want to be prudent? Do you want to be wise? Do you want to help people rather than hurt people? Uh, do you want to live happier and have a more fulfilling life? Well, then you need to learn to act and to speak with knowledge, not as the fool. And so we want to consider that second part of the proverb for just a few moments here. It says, but the fool lays open his folly. The ESV has it this way. He says, but a fool flaunts his folly. And I, and I like the NIV best. It says, but a fool exposes his folly. Now, the idea of all these translations is that the fool makes it so that everybody can see how foolish he or she is. Now, I've, I've got some great commentary on this and, and that I know that you're going to love. Uh, let me begin with George Lawson. George Lawson says, fools might be esteemed half-wise, if they had sense enough to keep their folly to themselves. But they presume that they're wise, and they talk of things of which they know as little as brute beasts, and meddle with things quite above their capacity. Thus they reveal their pride and ignorance, whilst they imagine that everyone must think them as wise as they think themselves. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that a good one? I, 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 they, they think everybody is as wise as they think they are. Uh, everybody esteems them like they think themselves. Charles Bridges says this. He says, From the lack of prudence, the fool layeth open his folly. He pours out his wrath. He puffs up his vanity. He exposes his thoughtlessness. He exercises no judgment and fills his sphere of influence with mischief. Well, you've met people like this. Matthew Henry says, It is folly to be rash, as the fool is who is forward to talk of things he knows nothing of and undertakes that which he is no way fit for. And so he lays open his folly and makes himself ridiculous. So here's something to think about. Think about this. There's more honor in admitting ignorance of something than in pretending to have knowledge that you don't have. Let me put that another way. Nobody expects us to know everything and to be expert in everything. Only God can, can we, only, we can only say that about God as the series that Dale is work, working on, on the knowledge of God. And when we confess that we're ignorant of something, we do no dishonor to ourselves, uh, you know, except in cases where our ignorance is because of our own slothfulness, where we really should know something but we've been slothful in our studies or slothful in an area where we shouldn't be. But even in those cases, we bring more honor to ourselves and to God if we humbly confess our ignorance. And uh, it shows humility and it shows an open mind. However, if we speak or if we act without genuine knowledge, and by so doing, we lay open our folly, then we get dishonor to ourselves into our testimony, which is just the opposite of bringing glory to God. So you see how our verse tonight is very, very practical, isn't it? Now, perhaps you're listening to this lesson and you now realize that you you didn't have knowledge of the biblical message of the gospel uh, when, uh, when you uh, uh, made a profession of faith and you've been living a lie. And, uh, and, and uh, well, 
my counsel to you is to call upon God now in sincerity and confess to God that you that uh, that you that you that you want Him as your Savior and that you realize that that you're lost. That's what my grandson did, and the Lord really did save him. And he's a different boy now. He really is. And perhaps you're a Christian and you realize that you've been guilty of speaking or acting without sufficient knowledge about whatever the situation might be. Well, uh, God would have you to admit it and to humble yourself before him and if appropriate to to someone else that you've offended if necessary. If we confess our sins, it says in 1 John 1, 9, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So all of us have failed in these things at one time or another. And so we just confess that to God. God is a forgiving God and, and he will and he will help us to go forward. So I know that these things convict me. I know that um, I have often spoke and acted without knowledge. And I've had to ask God to forgive me for that. And I know he has. And I hope that I'll do better in the future. Maybe you'll catch me tomorrow doing something, that acting without knowledge or speaking without knowledge. But, uh, but let's, we want to try to serve God with knowledge, as it says in our passage tonight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.